Hey, this is Dallin Vanderpool, host of the Careers in Cashflow podcast and author of No Boss Only Clients. And you're listening to Word Inspiration with Damien. Renewing your mind and increasing your spiritual health. Stay profitable and have a powerful day. Inspiration, yes, this is the station to tune into God's inspiration with Damien Scarlett. Good morning, good morning, yeah. Word inspiration, yes, this is the station to tune into God's inspiration with Damien Scarlett. Yo, <laughs> yo, this is Alex Young, just blessing up Damon's Scarlet and a word inspiration. Yo, tune in and have it luck each and every morning. Good morning, what a go on. Yo, Alex Young said that. Peace. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Word Inspiration, renewing your mind and increasing your spiritual health. Of course, I'm Damon Scarlet, your host for today. And we're doing we're doing things a little bit differently. In this episode, as you know, we're all about giving inspirational content, but also giving you some valuable life lessons that you can also adapt and include in all areas of your life. And, you know, we have different goals in life, you know, academic goals, career goals. And we also just did an episode on fitness goals. But what about your financial goals? Are those goals being equally aligned? Well, today inside our episode, we have a special guest with us, uh, Dallin Vanterpool. He is from the British Virgin Islands and currently living in Panama. And he's going to be telling us some more about his background and his work and all of that. And just to give you a little information on our guest dalan is a financial educator and private banker from the british virgin island he helps modern professionals connect their career moves to their wealth goals through his blog and his podcast entitled the careers cash flow podcast and we'll be talking some more about that as well word inspiration please make welcome our guest today dalan vanterpool welcome to word inspiration dalan how are you excellent damien thanks so much for having me on the show great great and how has your day been um thus far Why and crazy times as always i knew i had the interview come up with with water inspiration crews so i was excited all day looking forward to it but good times yeah. over here in panama thanks god okay great great and uh, and on the note of panama and just taking a look at what's happening in the in the world right now i normally try to start these interviews by asking my guests you know how are things in their country especially with covid19 over the last year and a half how have you been coping your family yeah. everybody yeah my family is good so we, we haven't had any uh any direct direct contact with the COVID no one no one I say like in, you know within arms reach has, has contracted the disease Panama right. from the very onset of the of the pandemic around you know more or less middle of March last year Panama went into probably one of the most aggressive lockdowns uh, quarantine whatever you want to call it uh, from day one uh, to the point where to this day we're still kind of in, in quarantine so it got to a point where uh, it was quarantined to a point where, hey, look, nobody goes to work. Even on the weekends, you can't go outside and walk your dog. You can't walk with your children outside. Everybody stay Whoa. home, 24-hour lockdown. And then it switched to levels of, okay, people need to buy food in the supermarket. Okay, so today, depending on the last number of your passport, if you're a male, you can go for this hour and 33 minutes. And then if you're a female, you can go for this hour and 20. And it's just like, it was some crazy, crazy, crazy times here. 
But um, we managed to get things uh, more under control, I would say. Uh, the vaccine rollout is happening now, so people are very, uh, very receptive to that. I think more than people are more, are more receptive to the vaccine, I think, than, than a lot of different places. Of course, not everybody is up for it, but people seem to be by and large uh, anxious to get vaccinated and protect themselves. So that's good. And things are starting to ease up a little bit more. So we're back to work in offices. You can go to the supermarket for regular hours and that kind of thing. So things are starting to, uh, starting to turn around. Still cautious, of course, just like any place else in the world. Because this yeah. thing, you know, it, it goes and comes. Uh, and hospitals are under pressure just like every place else. But we're trying our best to keep it under control. I would say, uh, compared to other countries, I don't think we're doing the best in the world, but we're definitely not the worst. Definitely not the worst. And most of what yeah. you said is similar to what's happening here in Jamaica as well. Yeah. You know, we're doing the best we can in terms of handling the pandemic. And we just really have to stay safe, wear our mask and follow the protocols um, as well. Because clearly this thing is not going anywhere soon. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. So I just wanted our listeners to know that, you know, word inspiration, we're out there on social media. So we were able to you know, connect with you on your pages and just to check out the work that you have been doing. And uh, we're going to be having a, a, a wholesome or fulsome conversation um, <laughs> with you, you know, from Jamaica over there in Panama. And we're excited to actually have this conversation with you. But as we begin, uh, Dalan, can you share with our listeners just a little bit about yourself, you know, some brief information about what it was like living in British Virgin Islands. You're now in Panama you know, give us a little synopsis of, you know, your journey. Yeah, absolutely. My 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 journey has always been a, a bit of an international story. So I grew up in the British Virgin Islands, uh, small group of islands, in case people don't know where that is, small group of islands. So population over there, I don't know, like 30,000 people, 28,000, 30,000 people max. Uh, but you have obviously millions of tourists and visitors coming in throughout the day. Um, when I finished high school, did community college for about two years, and I moved off to the U.S. to go to school. Uh, that was about 17 years old. And from there, my journey just kind of took a very international, international slant. I've always been curious about the world, curious about people and cultures and things that are different from me. And especially growing up in a place that's very small, it's important. And I encourage all Caribbean people to do this, especially uh, even if you're from a bigger Caribbean island. I mean, everything is relative. Like you're from a bigger Caribbean island of what, three million people in Jamaica. You know, that's that's a that's a small town in some yeah. countries. You know what I mean? <laughs> So still try your best to get out there and really see the world and see what's going on. So, so far, I've lived in about five countries. I lived, worked, or studied in about five countries. Everywhere from the U.S. to Istanbul, Turkey, South Africa, Panama, and some other place I'm forgetting right now that I can't remember. Uh, but try to go around and see the, see the world and understand how things are happening in different places. Uh, and the most, the, the, the most recent stop has landed me down here in Panama, which was an interesting switch. Because you land down here in Panama and of course, okay, you plop down on the ground and it's like, oh crap, I need to learn Spanish in a yeah. rush. <laughs> so you need to figure that out really, really quick. I mean, Panama is fairly international uh, and uh, interestingly, Panama is very, even if you talk to them here, they consider themselves more Caribbean than Latin American. So the Caribbean influence, everybody, a lot of people came here to work on the canal. The music is here, the food is here, like I could go for lunch and I could have you know, empanadas and arroz con pollo or I could have some coconut rice with you know some coconut water outside, a curry chicken, a, you yeah. know, a, a giant cake, a fried dumpling. I, I could do all of that in the same day on the same Whoa. street right here in Panama. So it's very, very, very heavily influenced by the Caribbean, the music and everything. Uh, people might know like reggaeton. I know we're in a Christian show and everything, but it is what it is. Like reggaeton, for example, people think it started in Puerto Rico with Daddy Yankee and those kind of guys. But reggaeton actually started here in Panama. Okay. Feeding off of Jamaican dance hall, feeding off of 
you know, the Shakademus employers and that, that whole yeah. vibe. They, that, that they fed off of that down here and created their own version of it called, called reggaeton. Uh, so they had the roots down here. So it's an interesting place. Um, Work-wise and that kind of thing, my background has always been between church and business, right? So you know, I grew up I grew up very, very much in church, you know, from uh, Sunday school and then you're in the youth's fellowship and, you know, every Friday yeah. night you're doing activity, you know, the whole, the whole night you're in the choir and this and that and the other. Uh, I found my space uh, really into the music section. Uh, I wasn't good at sports when I was growing up. I was fat. Uh, anybody couldn't really thought they'd be in chubby. So sports was not my thing. <laughs> so yeah. I gravitated... I gravitated towards the towards the music side of things. My parents were very diplomatic. You know, they didn't say, "Son, you're fat. You're not going to be a good athlete." They said, "Son, I think you should focus on music." <laughs> That's a diplomatic way of saying. Wise words from your parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that kind of took off. Uh, so I played saxophone and flute professionally, uh, and that took me around the world. Ended up playing for people like Oprah, you know, Harry Belafonte, Spike Lee, different people. Um, as you're doing gigs around the world. And then uh, on the education and business side, I was always into uh, the business side of things. So that took me down the accounting and banking route. Um, and and seeing seeing the two sides of those worlds, as much as people might think they're complete yeah. opposite, you actually see how like the, the church, or when I say the church, obviously not one particular church, but you know, church folks or the Christian community and that kind of stuff actually mm-hmm. needs uh, more of this kind of information, more of this kind of education and to get comfortable talking about money and dealing with money and that kind of stuff. Um, people would yeah. say, oh, it's bad, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, mm-hmm. yo, the part of the reason we're losing is because the other side understands how to put money into play to push their message that is you know so I mean? true and that's a conversation that we need to be having ever so often yeah part of the reason such and such music is pushing hard on the internet is not because you're not praying hard enough it's because they have money and they're spending money on advertising dollars you know what i mean it's exactly not, everything isn't spooky and like holy spirit it's like yeah it's not, some of this stuff is just dollars and cents man yeah, um, and so we really I, need I, to latch on to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I shifted and I, I really wanted to get more information. This information that I'm seeing at work, like I'm helping. We just had a, in a, in a pre-show, we were just talking about some of the stuff I'm doing. And I'm helping multi-millionaires and high net worth individuals manage their money and helping people get rich and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yo, the issue that we're having here is that all people don't have access to the same information. Like we literally, we just, it's not even like, I'm not blaming anybody. We just don't have like, they were taught different things. They're on a different page. They, they're thinking about things in a different way. So I made my mission now to take that information that I've been learning and studying, whether it's in school or dealing with clients or whatever it is, yeah. and really translate that and pass it on to more of the people that need it, need it the most. Uh, with the end game, obviously, being if we can empower more people yeah. who have a healthy moral conscience and give them the capital and the money to put power behind those ideas, we can do so much more for the world. We have so many people out there with great ideas and good intentions and a beautiful heart, but they don't have the capital and the energy and the resources to really make those yeah. things happen. So I'm trying to trying to bring those things together and help everybody, help all of us win. Yeah, and and as I listen to as I'm listening to you rather, I realize you know you have found like your sense of purpose and and calling because even through what you're doing, you're helping other persons and other yeah. entities to really unlock um, that kind of treasure that is needed, um, especially in this time right now. You know, having persons coming on as you know financial coaches and and just giving that kind of instruction and with you being in banking as well. I believe as well, you know, having that first and exposure, you're able to, you know, give them those tools that are necessary or give us those tools that are necessary. 
um to build kind of um wealth as well and what 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 i found interesting as well dalan as he spoke about church and and business you yeah. know even from my own self that i had a little um experience as well working in the banking sector for about right. about 3 4 years as yeah. while studying theology you know so even when i was when we were talking and you were sharing about some of the things that you are involved in i was like wow um church and theology and and music and banking together we see some some correlations there you yeah. know yeah right, so i'm really sure a little bit on your your time in 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 british virgin islands and so far being a part of you know panama and working as a banker that is something that you love right <laughs> uh, i i <laughs> i have a love hate relationship with it <laughs> I, as some days you love it i i love the idea of what my my approach to things is is as a lot of times not necessarily do something you want to love but do something you want to learn right so for example i want to understand i got i got sick of seeing rich people or seeing money flowing around seeing people doing businesses and this and that other i want i'm like how does that happen how does that work i want to understand the behind the scenes so all right cool you want to understand how to do something say you want to become a carpenter All right, you can sit down there and read all the books you want or you could go find a carpenter and be like, "Oh, give me a little job now. I'll work for free." Or like, "Show me how to you just start doing it to understand yeah. how things happen." So I took that same approach when it came to like money and finances and that kind of stuff. I wanted to get inside the minds of millionaires. I want to understand what is it like why how are they doing this kind of stuff? Especially the ones who started out poor or the ones who got rich or the ones who've been rich for generations, wealthy for generations. Like what are they doing differently? Um so I got a job doing that kind of stuff. So do I love it? I don't know if I could say I love it love it love it. I love it some days, but I love yeah. I love the information that I'm learning and the fact that I can take this and pass it on to put to more people who who can use it to do things. So that's the part I love. I might not love the means, but I love the end that it can create. Yeah. And 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 that is very important to that, you know, sometimes when you set out to do a thing, you know, it's going to be a difficult task, but you know, when you look at that end goal and yeah. you know what can be achieved from it, you know, you feel good um right. in in the long run. All right. So we want to go into some more of your journey as well. And you know, recently you shared with me that you know you were involved in ministry for quite some time. We touched on it a little earlier on, but yeah. you know, you studied theology and you also did music. You're involved in in the genre of jazz. You know, yeah. talk to us some more about that. How does the two come together? Um, what was that like for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I was my my obviously grew up in church and you know, all that kind of stuff. You start. Uh, every time you set up in church, you give you a little testimony and that kind of thing. You always in the church band, you know that stuff. You in the church band, you in the youth choir, and all this kind of stuff. So the music was always there. Um, at some point during my corporate America journey, I was working as a public accountant in the U.S. for one of the big four accounting firms, and I just got fed up with it. I I got fed up with the idea that I was like, what are we doing? Like, what I'm not making it. We're not. We're just counting money. Like, we're not making a difference in the world. What am I doing here with my life? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day. Like this is not serving anything, um, so I got fed up and I threw up my hands and I said, you know what, I'm just gonna answer God's call, and I quit my job. Uh, I had to change visas and all that kind of stuff, you know how it goes, and then ended up going to uh, do a theology degree at Emory University, so the Candle School of Theology uh, in Atlanta. And one of the reasons I picked that program was that I knew I wanted to do something on the music side, but there weren't that many programs out there that let you kind of really dive into the music side of it as well as the, the as, as well as the theology. Yeah. So, you know, an average day for me if I'm going to class, um uh, what everybody some people are doing you know, biblical interpretation, they're in Hebrew class, Greek, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um I still had to do those things, 
but at the same time by the time afternoon comes i'm studying david and paul and luke and that kind of stuff in the yeah. morning in the afternoon i'm studying john coltrane charlie parker you know what i'm saying you know yeah. sonny rollins these kind of people i'm in jazz class doing that kind of thing mm -hmm. and it actually comes together quite nicely because in my opinion god was a jazz musician god was not well, a classical musician <laughs> right God well, wasn't a classical you musician. Down, you have to break down that <laughs> theology first, you know. Um, yeah, with, with pleasure, with pleasure. Because when you when you talk about the jazz genre in particular, right, it differs from a lot of the other genres in a couple of ways. So if you're a classical musician, you sit down, you play what's in front of you. Somebody else wrote it. Somebody else put the thought into it. You have time to go home and you practice it. You make a mistake and you go and you try to perfect it and da 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 da. It's, it's very neat and well put together and all this kind of stuff. When you come on the jazz side of things, the creation and the thought and the power of it, it all happens in an instant, right? Because a lot of it is it's improvisational, yes, but it's yeah. coming from a source of intelligence. It's coming from a source of power. It's coming from a source of knowledge that you have internalized. It's coming from understanding and knowledge. It's coming from paying attention to the things that are around you, right? You have to be extremely sensitive as a jazz musician to what's happening on the stage. You can't just look at the paper and what's in front of you and say, this is what we're going to do. Because if the drummer to go one direction, you got to be able to feel that and react yeah. and do things as well. That's why I say God is a jazz musician. If you say, let there be light and there's light, that's the same thing jazz musicians do. Let there be this melody and boom, there it is. It's not like, let there be this melody in two years after I sit down and write it down. And no, 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 go. It's Let it happen instant. immediately, it's, instant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're pushing energy into the room. I mean, especially as a, as a musician, I mean, musicians who have tested it, you know, you've been to a concert before or, and there's a singer or a musician or something and they, they hit a note, they sing a note, or they play a note and you could almost, you, you feel it. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because as a musician, you're listening. sensation. Yeah, because you're pushing energy into the room, right? You're able mm -hmm. to create and affect the reality of what's happening in the room. I mean, I've been in worship services before where... Uh, especially when you're, you're you're really spending your time in, in fasting and you're praying in, as a musician, you're not just playing music or playing sick. When you're really in tune and you prayed up and you, you know the whole team is on the same page, and there've been places where you hear a melody in your head, right? The Holy Spirit hits you with a melody in your head. It has nothing to do with any song or any particular. You're just hearing a certain thing in your head. And there've been situations before, and it's like when you submit when you surrender to that and you play it, all of a sudden you feel like a palpable push in the room. I, I, I don't have to yeah. describe, but if, you, if, you, if, if you're in ministry, you understand what I'm talking about. You yeah. feel a push in the room and you realize, yo, if I didn't surrender, if I wasn't attuned to listen to that and and, and get that download and play it, you know, mm -hmm. somebody might not have had the kind of deliverance they were looking for. Um, so I spent a lot of time on that kind of stuff. And so my yeah. degree was looking at, yes, I did preaching class, of so licensed preaching and all that kind of stuff. But I spent a lot of time, if you look at a church service, I studied a lot of everything that happens in a church service besides the sermon, right? So Whoa. what music are we teaching? What, what music are we are we going to play today? Why this? Uh, what colors mm -hmm. are we going to have? Uh, should we use benches or should we use chairs? Because that makes a difference. How? What's the oh, distance? So you, you, oh, so you're looking at the setting then? Yeah, I'm looking at the mood. setting. Yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at what kind of artwork is in the building. I'm looking at the volume of the music. I'm looking at the kind of materials you build your church for from and say, look, you know, you have pastors who say, I just thought I, I can't get people to worship in the church. I can't get people to to, to participate in the worship service. So I'll walk into a room and be like, well, yeah, because the chair is too far apart. When people get more than three feet apart, they, they mm -hmm. can't feel each other's vibration. It's like a guitar. If you take a guitar and you put all the strings six feet apart. It, yeah, you're not going to get the same vibe. You don't going to get the same vibe. I'll say, yeah, you, yeah. Need, to, you need to move some of those, move each one of those chairs over one foot and you might get a different kind of experience. You know, or, or put a higher ceiling, you know, little things like that. 
I spend yeah. time studying that kind of stuff and how we can use all those different things to actually um, make sure we're, we're, we're ministering properly. And even looking at the, the, the background of some of this music, a lot of the music we sing, I won't call any names of songs right now because <laughs> I'm going to yeah. touch somebody's favorite song. But <laughs> you know what I mean? If you really look into the theology behind some of these songs and the churches mm. that these songs are coming out of uh, and what these churches believe, it's some crazy stuff out there, man. I mean... Mm. Some of the most popular songs you listen to the theology of some of these churches, they believe in some crazy stuff like, yeah, when dead people, you know, die, you got to go uh, pick up the gifts that they left behind. So you got to go lay on top of yeah, the uh, crazy. <laughs> and these are popular, popular songs. So I pay attention to a lot of the kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, again, the financial ministry side of it came in because mm-hmm. I'm realizing, too, that to get ministry done, it takes money. Uh, it takes money. De- de- definitely. <laughs> definitely. It takes money. And also the career side of it is like, people say, why are you focusing on this stuff? I said, well, look, how much more could you do for the kingdom? How much more could you do for church? How much more could you do for God if you weren't every day struggling for yourself? It's like the difference between, and this is not saying that one is one is bad or one is better than the other, but it's like, okay, you see somebody else alongside the road and you give them a piece of bread. That's good. What if you built a whole bakery that gave away free food? And you were feeding all the homeless. It's just like scale. Like it's the difference yeah. between um, helping out your niece who needs some help going to school. You buy a school uniform to you mm-hmm. building your own charity, and you ha- you you have hundreds of millions of dollars helping people all over the world. It's just like it's the scale of what you're able to do uh, in there. So I wanted to really dig into that kind of stuff and get people financially empowered so they can be yeah. free to do that kind of thing. Yeah, and that is good. And I'm really loving that kind of uh, mission that you're about. I had a question right. for you, a follow-up question as you spoke about worship and, you know, just setting and all of that. Uh, when I was studying also at, at the seminary, we did a course called uh, The Theology of Christian Practice and Worship. And that's yeah. one of, those are some of the things that we were looking at um, in our course as well. But how can we get church leaders in this day and age to have that kind of viewpoint in terms of how they look at worship and taking in consideration the setting and all of that because they're still used to worship being in in one style um as as how it was in a couple years ago but not just now and that's and that's perhaps a challenge you know so how can we get our worship leaders and our pastors to have a different um perspective yeah and that's a that's an excellent question i think a lot of it i think the, the first background to it has to go um with with understanding what it is we're trying to do right so i have I've worked yeah. before where you talk to people about like i guess one way to put it is like worship intensity right mm-hmm. the intensity of your worship how intense is your worship um and i know we get into some deep theological stuff here so let me know if we you know we're going kind of left yeah, but man, it's, it's a word inspiration so we can we say we say we yeah, we're safe <laughs> <laughs> and this is our response hey what's good everybody this is david sutton and you are listening to the word inspiration podcast with damien scarlett and you don't gotta go anywhere else stay tuned for all you've done and all you've been, all the love you've shown, it's amazing. Yeah, this is our response. Whoa, oh, you say hallelujah. This is our response. Do you talk about the intensity of your worship? Uh, a lot of this stuff, before we even get to like, oh, let's fix the chairs and the settings and blah, 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 blah. A lot of this stuff uh, has to do with being a good disciple right the, the kind of worship that you're going to have and, and forget the congregation for just a second i'm talking about the worship leaders here in in, in this yeah. context uh the kind of the kind of worship you're able to lead people into 
you can't really lead people into places you've never been before, right? So you 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 can't get up yeah. on a Sunday morning and be like, oh, I don't understand why people are not having these deep, crazy spiritual experiences when you haven't had, you know, like you you haven't been there in private yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, you haven't had worship. Like until you've had the experience where you have an intense worship experience without the music, without the drums, mm, without yeah. the keyboard, you know, and without the extra, all the hype and the balloons and the frills the and the fireworks. Angles, yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? If, if you're not used to being in that place, it's going to be really awkward uh, for you to fake it in front of people. I, I, the way I put it with some people and there's some like musicians who try to play stuff and they don't understand why. Why is it when so-and-so sing the song, people seem more moved than when this person sings? I said, well, look, man, it's hard to play or sing or speak with conviction about something that you're not fully convinced about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you just kind of think it's a good idea... Uh, I mean, and this has to do with maturity. I mean, I remember in my own Christian walk, when you're young and, and, and you, stuff, you, 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 you believe what people told you about the Bible and about God, about Christ and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then at some point when you get older and you start having some serious experiences, you don't believe because of what people told you. You believe because like, hey, look, I experienced X, Y, Z. I know that I know that I know for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like, you don't. You don't need to convince me. This is not. A, you move from like an intellectual understanding of, of of what God is and that kind of stuff to your own experience. So, on the worship leader side, it has to do with your own personal practice, right? Your own yeah. personal devotion. And the second part to it is a shift in, uh, in 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 our. I, I, I don't. I'm trying to find the right word to say, it, but I guess or the education around how we how we do worship, right? Yeah. And being more intentional about crafting these worship experiences. Not just, mm-hmm. all right, let's go throw up a thing here and we're going to sing a couple songs too fast. Yeah. We're going to start too off too fast <laughs> and we do three slows. And then when the pastor, mm-hmm. look like he's giving the musician the eye on the side, he's going to end the song on the piano player starts playing a little thing, but only on the right side of the keyboard because that's the higher register. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's one vibe, but we really got to sit down and start thinking about how we're crafting these things. And it takes people like you. It takes people like me who are going to sit down and say, look, man, mm. you know, we're not saying that we know everything. Yeah, but we we took some time, years, <laughs> intentionally sit down and trying to and, and trying to look at what works and what doesn't work. Let's try some of these new things. So it takes the worship leaders also being open mm-hmm. and the pastors being open uh, yeah. to try some things that they haven't tried before and be more intentional about crafting uh, the kinds of worship experiences that they want uh, and, and just doing some different stuff. Because what you're competing against, right? What we have now is that people are. It's a different time. We're competing when when people walk into a church service and that kind of stuff. You're competing against the Beyonce concert that they saw online, or the Beyonce oh, concert yeah. that they went to, or yeah, like that Kanye is true. West and the whole lights and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And this is not to say that you need to do that, right? You don't need to copy that model necessarily and try to be, you know, super whatever. But your your just as Beyonce and these rest of these people, whoever they just said they took time. I mean, they're people who are professionals, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. to think about. What are people going to experience? Just as they were intentional about crafting every piece of that experience for people who are coming to that concert or whatever, we have to be not necessarily the same thing, but we have to be equally intentional about, hey, look, when people walk in the door, like what, what, what are we doing with them? Like Before yeah. they get to their seat, they're just going to be there on their cell phone or yeah, how we engage them and what do they or, see? Yeah, or when they walk in before service even starts, do we have, uh, like one of the things we did one time, like do we have every 50 feet as they walk into church, do we have somebody else reading like some kind of biblical poetry, somebody chanting Psalms as you walk in? Because yeah. for example, if you walk into a worship service and scattered around the church, there's people loudly reciting Psalms. Nobody has to tell you, 
hey, don't don't talk right now. Turn off your cell phone because no, you're like, oh, wait, something something. Yeah, 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 your reference. Yeah, yeah, immediately, immediately, immediately. immediately yeah. yeah, you don't need to say, all right, well, church is about to start. Now we're gonna stay. You don't need a countdown on yeah. the screen. Mm-hmm. If people walk in and they, from time they're touching the parking lot, they're like, whoa, I'm on holy ground. Something is a different place. Yeah. So as soon as we start getting more intentional about crafting those kind of uh, how we want to craft the entire worship experience, not just a sermon or the music, but the entire worship experience, then I think we can start having um, a more a more serious impact. And it takes time, it takes conversations, and it takes effort. Yeah, I agree, agreed. But we're not here to talk all about theology. <laughs> um, but that's a good conversation, and uh, definitely it is something that you know all our ministers and our worship leaders, especially in the Caribbean, because. Um, we have a rich heritage as Caribbean countries as well, you know, especially when it comes on to music. And we really yeah. have to try to find ways and means of how we can engage the wider congregants, especially our young people as well. But that is another conversation for another time in terms of how we can engage our young people. <laughs> but um, we touch a little bit on your background in terms of being um, at British Virgin Islands in Panama, um, working as a banker. Let's talk a little bit more about now your book, um, yeah. No Boss only clients now when i saw this dropped on social media i was like no boss only clients and um, what is this book about <laughs> what is dalan up to you know um i haven't had an opportunity to get the, the book as yet to read it in its entirety but just the little excerpt that i've seen and you know just the gems that you have been dropping you know it yeah. goes to show that you know it's an excellent book and it's a time where we also need to learn about our financial wealth and financial freedom so over to you now. Um, uh, no boss, only clients. Why this topic and what is this book about? <laughs> All right, cool. So the book, as you said, is called No Boss, Only Clients, How to Build an Extraordinary Career and a Life of Freedom. Uh, it's available on Amazon. So we have the paperback version. As you see here, you can get this or you can yeah. download the Kindle version or you can get the audiobook version if you want to listen. So however you want to do it, we got you covered. Go on to Amazon, just type in my name or type in No Boss, Only Clients and you'll, uh, you'll find the book there. The premise nice. behind the book is this. Damien, a lot of us have been conditioned or trained into taking a passive approach uh, towards our work and towards our career. So we've been taught that you are the employee. This is the boss. You sit back, you take instructions. They say to do something, you go and do it. You're, you're, you're extremely grateful and humble to have this job and you're desperate and you would do anything no matter what they say. Yeah. Okay. Old school, right? I'm bringing in the new school saying, look, this person, anybody who's involved in the process of getting you paid is not your it's not your boss that's your client right wow. and this and this is the same approach that people who have money have been taking for years right if you go and if you go and you're paying for something right if you hire a plumber right and you're paying the plumber is a plumber mm-hmm. uh, i mean like is that you, you're the client right you're not the, yeah. you're not all of a sudden the plumber's boss right no, you're not, yes you're, you're not. paying but you're you're his client so at the same time one he knows that you could pack up and find Hello. another plumber, but he also knows you. You also know that you're not the only person that has plumbing problems. He could also get up and find another client. So it kind of mm. puts pressure on both sides to say, "Look, we need to have rather than this top-down where like you're on top, you're the boss, and I'm below. We need to have a mutual respect for each other, right? Yeah, and make sure that we're adding value to each other. So it's not to say that oh, no boss, only clients. You get up and you do whatever you want. It actually puts more pressure on you to make yeah. sure you're adding value to your client and serving your client to earn the money that you want to be paid, right? So that's the general premise of the book. Wow. Um, so for about 60% of the book, 60, 65% of the book, I'm walking you through one, 
how to recalibrate and recondition your brain to understand this different power dynamic so that mm-hmm. you approach things differently. You approach your career differently. And you're not just a taker, you're a maker, right? You're, you're making things happen. You can decide yeah. how, things, how things happen in your job and your career. It might come to a point where, you know, you're not quitting your job. You're changing clients. It's a bad mm-hmm. client. You know, like, oh, no, this, this job, hey, I quit that job. No, that client, we, we had a bad relationship. It just wasn't working out. It wasn't mutually mm-hmm. agreeable anymore. So I decided yeah. to move on to a different client. It's a different kind of conversation than I got fired or like they, mm-hmm. I, I quit my job. That, that's, it's a different kind of self-speak. Yeah. Right? So in the book, we're walking you through tactics and strategies for how to build that career. I'm talking about stuff that I wish I knew at the beginning of my career. And this is mm-hmm. from over... Th- 200 episodes of uh, 200 episode of the podcast uh, of the podcast yeah. uh, interviewing top level executives everywhere from Silicon Valley to you know management all over the place and wow. I'll just sit down and reading books and understand all this stuff and distilling it down to say look mm-hmm. um, what you thought you knew about ne- salary negotiation here's the next level of stuff for example I'll give you one yeah <laughs> people think that you come in right and you're like oh I need to negotiate my salary I need to go ask for more money I'm like wait hold on a second First of all, real salary negotiations, I'm talking about not when you're trying to get extra $100. I'm talking about you're trying to get an extra $10,000, $5,000 raise. Yeah. This stuff takes like a year, right? And on, on day one, you're having a conversation, not asking for the money yet, you know. You're having a what would have to be true conversation. So you're walking in, let's say we use a calendar year, January to December. You're walking in on January saying, hey, client, right? Not boss, hey, client. Yeah. What are the things you're trying to accomplish this year? Okay, great. All right, so... That's what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I can help you do that. What would have to be true for you to be feel comf- for you to feel comfortable paying me an additional ten thousand dollars? Give me yeah. the conditions. What would have to happen for us for, for me to, to get extra ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars? Okay, A, B, C, D. All right, we agree on that. So you're saying if I do A, B, C, and D, you're okay. Give me an extra ten thousand. All right, good. Second question: Are you prepared to give me the resources and support to make those things happen? Right. Right. Because a lot of people go step one. And they walk out the door, but then they say like, wait, it's like halfway through the year, but these people didn't even give me a proper laptop. I don't have any, you know, I, I, <laughs> wow. you, were set, you were set up to fail. And those are the realities that I'm yeah. a person's face. <laughs> yeah, you were set up to fail. So step two, are you prepared to give me the support and resources to make that happen? All right, great. So you're saying if this, then you give me that. Halfway through the year, you do a check-in. Hey, I know we said this and that during January, during the year. I want to check in on how we're going on these objectives. Any, any adjustments we need to make, any pivots we need to make, yeah. boom, boom, boom. So you go, you're kind of going through this dance back and forth and you're collecting the evidence along the way because here's what happens. And this is the kind of insight that we talk about in the book. When your quote unquote boss goes to try to recommend you to get a raise, they're not going to want to tell you this right? because they like to feel important. But a lot of times <laughs> the person you're talking to isn't the real person who's making the decision. They have to go before some kind of board or some committee. Right. They have to convince some other people. So yeah. yeah, they know that you're good, but these other people, they might not know you from anybody. So you yeah. have to actually go now and collect the wins and give them the, give, put the words in their mouth and give them a, a summary at the end and say, look, these are the things that you said they wanted to accomplish. And, and the sentence structure goes like this. At the beginning of the year, we were at A, point A. Right. Through the efforts that I did by doing A, B, C, and D, or one, two, three, and four, now we've moved sales to this point, or now we've moved, we've saved time on this point. So that's right. the kind of conversation you want to have. And we're breaking that down in the book and also explaining concepts to people like, look, man, you could be doing a whole bunch of different things that you think are valuable, but mm-hmm. businesses, there's only, there's a, there are very few things that really matter to businesses. How can you help me make more money? How can you help me uh, save time Yeah. Or, or do things faster? That's, that's all businesses really care about. 
Like so you could have any business or they're thinking, oh, we're here because we're a charity and, you know, we want to do good for the world. Nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. <laughs> You're here for money. Yeah. yeah. Like and, and, to be real. And, and what I'm hearing as well, you know, some of the pointers that are coming out is that you, one, have to also know the value that you have for yourself yeah. and uh, bring that to the kind of com- to the conversation table as well. And you're yeah. basically selling yourself and learning the kind of jargons that you need to use as you're presenting your case of why you need yeah. to raise in the first place. Right. And even interesting beyond that, a lot of us are here. I mean, asking for a raise is just that even that is super basic. Like people are not, mm-hmm just talking about raises, we're talking in the book about how to negotiate your compensation, not just your salary. I'm actually getting ready to do a workshop on this in a couple, in about a month. I'll, I'll shoot you a link to that when, it, when that's ready. Yeah. Uh, but salary is just one thing. What about, right, when people are having real negotiations about this stuff, what about more vacation days, right? Mm. What about a deal where, okay, I have to travel for this job. Okay, what about we negotiate a deal where I can stay, if I have to work in this, in, in, on this trip from Monday to Friday, you allow me to stay the weekend and I can fly in my, my, my wife. Right. You know what I mean? And I fly back on Sunday morning. I fly back on Monday. That's a, that's a negotiation point. Mm-hmm. Right? What about instead of getting more cash, you give me stock options? For example, I saw the thing that just came out. Uh, Tim Cook, uh, I forgot the exact amount, but Tim Cook, CEO of Apple today, mm-hmm. just got a whole heap of Apple stock because that was part of his negotiation in the beginning that if he stays for 10 years he's gonna get i mean it's like it's like it's like 700 and something million it's like it's crazy number of apple stock that he got in the millions right now that's worth a lot more than just getting the cash yeah right because that stock is going to continue to grow up he could have held i think he actually sold most of it but he could have held on to that and continue getting paid dividends so we got to start thinking in a different kind of way versus just like, oh, I want to get more money. Yeah, there's more money, mm-hmm. but there's vacation days, there's stock options, there's time off, there's um, speaking engagements. There's a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. things uh, that that get you get that get you going. So these yeah. are the kind of things we're talking about in the book, and then we actually get down to the nitty gritty. Like, all right, we talk about all this career stuff. Here's how to make more money. Right. Here, yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about what you need to actually do to build your side business. Not just yeah. side hustle, you know, your side business. <laughs> your side business. Well, well, that's a very interesting point that you made about not your side hustle, but your side business. Um, if you can put that in context some more for us, because some persons might just say, well, why can't I just have a, a side hustle and, and, and that's it, you know? Um, is there yeah. anything more that really should come out of it? So if you, if you could expound on that for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a choice. This is a choice everybody has to make. And the mm-hmm. things I talk about in the book, I, I try to prevent you, present you with a, with a, with a roadmap and a kind of buffet. You, you take whatever you think that you need, right? It's not that you have to do everything I recommend, but I say, look, if you're going to go down this road, here's a good way to do it. So it, the, the difference between the side hustle and the side business is this. You have a lot of people who say, well, I have a side hustle. And that's cute. You know, if you want to have a hobby, you're making a little couple of dollars here and there, that's fine. But when we start talking about having a side business, as you saw during the pandemic here, a lot of people lost their jobs and companies got shut down and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And in a situation like that, the side hustle is not going to cut it, right? You need to decide some, some actual objectives and run it like a business. Like, hey, I need to make this amount of money. Uh, I have a separate bank account for this thing. It's not just mixed up in I, you know money in my pocket or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, I have... I have a separate way that I want to run this thing. I'm actually thinking about this thing. We're having objectives that has, I'm keeping records of our company. We had a conversation just there on Twitter about Zoho versus QuickBooks a couple of days ago. Yeah. So we're going back and we're, forth. Yeah. So that, that, that's a side business. I'm trying to actually find a way in the, in the, in the side business mindset. I'm thinking, okay, my monthly salary is X. Let's say somebody's monthly salary is $3,000 a month, right? When you get in a side business, 
mindset. I'm thinking, how can I make another $3,000 a month to where if I lose this client, not this job, if I lose this client, right, during the cause of the pandemic or whatever it is, boom, I know I have my side business that's also generating $3,000. So I'm good. So I can either, um, I can either decide that I'm going to skip over and I'm going to say, look, I'm going to go full-time into my side business. Or yeah. I might say, look, I'm going to keep both. So I have $6,000 on both sides. So that's the kind of okay. difference. Um, and the book, we also break down as well. So a concept that was um, explained, um, but explained as well. You see, the book, and we talk about the difference between um, free entrepreneurs, freelancers, right? Yeah. And entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs and freelancers and, and employees. And a lot of times people think that, oh, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. You hear this a lot now. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm like, mm-hmm. are you? Yeah. Like, let's really, let's really, let's go down the list. Because if you're talking about you being an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are trying to build things that can function with or without them, especially right. without. Especially if I'm being an entrepreneur, without, yeah. especially without, I'm not trying to be involved in everything. I'm trying to build a system, right? To where when I go on vacation for a month, money's still running, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying to build a system. One, that's one part of it. And I'm also trying to empower other people. So when people say on, on Instagram, I've, I've been guilty of it too in the younger days. You see this, you see the, the Instagram and the Twitter profiles. Oh, CEO of this. You know, I'm the boss, bo- boss babe, boss man of the. I'm like, okay, if you're the mm-hmm. CEO, what's the name of your CFO? What's the name of your COO? Oh, you yeah. don't have any employees? Then who are you the boss? Like, see, you're the chief executive officer. You're the only Whoa. executive officer. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're not an entrepreneur. You're a freelancer, right. and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But just own that. You know, you're a freelancer where most of the money depends on you doing, um, you doing the work, and that's fine. But you just need to be clear about that. Uh, so we break that down in there and how you go about the graduation process from freelancer to entrepreneur. If that's what you're trying to do. So the book is filled with those kind of gems yeah. and making sure people understand how to do that kind of stuff. So where you build your financial place up. We talk about investing a little bit in there as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying I'm not the guy that's ever telling anybody go quit your job. That's not my stick. Right. I'm yeah. not the oh, you just need to jump. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> now, I'm I'm trying to say, like, hey, I want to get you to a place where if you wanted to leave, you yeah. feel 100 percent comfortable doing that. You're not at you're not at this job because you have to be at this job because if you lose this job, you're gonna be broke. You're gonna right. be homeless. You're at this job because it's something that you find value in doing and you want to do it, right? But you have yeah. enough going on outside of that. To where you could take care of yourself, you could take care of your family, you could put money towards the community and the causes that you want to support. So that's the that's that's the thrust of the book. And like I said, you know, no boss, only clients. People can check yeah. it out uh, online on Amazon and grab yourself a copy or ten. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A powerful discussion with our special guest today, Dallin Vanterpool, here inside Word Inspiration, talking to us about his new book entitled "No Boss, Only Clients." And this is some wonderful information we've been hearing as you've been sharing about your journey. Interesting journey as a theologian, as a jazz musician, and also as an investment banker. Learning how we can make the most of our money and having the right conversations, the right negotiations, and knowing how much you are of value. And so we want to thank you for dropping these gems, Dallin. Uh, Helpful to any corporate organization, helpful to the church helpful to us as individuals and this is part one and we're coming back to wrap up our discussion with Dallon in part two and you don't want to miss that so again you have been listening to a word inspiration renewing your mind and increasing your spiritual health thank you to all of our listeners and to our production team for making this episode possible until next time this is Damien tuning out from word inspiration have a great day 